COVID-19 has had a significant impact on the sex industry and snap lockdowns and travel restrictions mean that there are times when sex workers require emergency financial relief in order for them and their dependents to stay safe, housed and fed. Sex workers don't get sick or holiday pay and many have no savings to fall back on. The stigma and discrimination that we face means that some have no proof of earnings to access government support and of course migrant workers are often forgotten. Scarlet Alliance and their state and territory member organisations joined together to create an ongoing fund that is hosted on the website Chuffed, that's C-H-U-F-F-E-D. Donations are tax deductible, 100% of funds raised go directly to sex workers in need and most weeks the amount of people applying outweigh the amount of funds raised and sadly people have to be turned away. The link to this fund is in our show notes. Welcome to Somebody You Love or The Sale of Two Titties. I'm Jenna Love and I'm Holly Hart. And we're experts in disappointing our parents, breaching community guidelines and banging the people who vote against our rights. Today we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording. I'm on the land of the Ngunnawal people. And I'm on the land of the Darug and Gundungunna people. The sex industry is really broad and captured within it is a wide variety of people with different histories and and different experiences. Now, we've created this podcast to try and humanize sex workers, both by telling our stories and by providing a platform for others to do so. But anything that anyone says on this show can only be reflective of their own experience and opinions. We really appreciate you listening to our voices, but just don't take our words as hooker gospel. If you've been listening to us for a while, you will be aware that our podcast does contain adult themes. If this is your first episode, here's your warning. Our content is rated 18 plus. So today we're talking about friendships within the industry and probably goes beyond friendships really into relationships of all different kinds within the industry. And now I, for the first few years of working in this industry, I did not know a single other sex worker. And I think a lot of people can relate to this because if you don't start by working in a brothel or in a strip club or somewhere, obviously, where there are other workers literally around you in the same building, then you you kind of are really on your own. And looking back, I don't really understand why, but I really didn't know that the sex industry like existed Like I kind of knew it existed, but I just, I didn't know there was other people out there like me. I sort of, I knew that there were some brothels around. I knew that there were, you know, so-called high class escorts, but I just did, I didn't know there was anyone like me, you know, but like I was in an okay position because obviously I had my husband. So it's not like I was completely on my own. I had somebody I could talk to about work, someone I could run ideas past, but it did mean that the, the people that I spoke to mostly about my work were my clients. Um, and so all of my information that I gathered about the industry in those first few years was from clients. And at the time that made sense to me. Uh, and now looking back, I'm like, oh, clients don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and of course, you know, some, some do more than others and, and whatever, but generally like the people who are actually doing the job are the people who are the expert at the job. Like if I go to a, uh, you know, somebody who's a tiler, um, who, you know, puts tiles on houses, I'm not going to ask the customer of a tiler how to be a tiler, am I? Like, it just doesn't really make sense. I don't know why I used Tyler as an example. 
it's that was a weird example anyway um so yeah i just didn't i didn't know about the industry at all and it wasn't actually until after i had taken a break from the industry and i came back into it that one of my clients or a couple of my clients i think had said to me like you should get on twitter there's um you know that there's heaps of people on twitter so I joined and and then I um, discovered that there is so much to the sex industry. It's fucking massive. Um, and then I started meeting people and then I started, um, I actually arranged to meet up with some sex workers. And the first people I met were Kira Swanson and Charlie Swinton. And it was bizarre. I was like, oh, hi, oh, you, you do this as well. And there's this whole world and there's all these rules and there's all these things that people are doing and there's, there's ways of doing things that are accepted as the way of doing it. And people would say like, oh, always do this or always do that. And I was like, oh. I've never done that. And I've been doing this job for years, you know, and I I actually went through a period of feeling incredibly resentful when I first discovered the industry because I felt like I had been excluded, which was not the case at all, of course. But I was like, oh, there's all these people and you guys have had this community and you've all been hanging out and I've just been here on my own without any access to this support, to this safety network, to this information and I, yeah, at first I felt really isolated and and I, I felt this weird sense of anger towards the people that were a part of the community. And again, looking back, I don't understand, like I remember Googling, I think I was Googling like P word Sydney. And I guess because we don't really use that term very much in Australia, like maybe that wasn't bringing up any results. But at the time I thought that that's what we were called. And I don't like now I say to people like we have so many peer organizations, we have there are outreach, there are all these places out there. And we God, like we work so hard to try and reach every corner of the industry because this isolation is a huge problem. And I don't know why at the time, like it didn't reach me. And I when I Googled stuff about it, I didn't find out about any organizations. I just I just didn't know that it existed because of the nature of our work. Um, you know, there are all these resources out there. We do have peer organizations. There are formal and informal groups of people that, that come together and that form a community. And these are so important to the industry, but, uh, a lot of people from the outside don't know about them. And that's actually very intentional because, you know, if we sort of share information about our, our safety procedures and our networks and, and how we do things, if we share those with people outside of the industry, then it means that they, you know, they can work out how to get around our, our safety measures. And that's something that I... I think any sex worker that is out to their family probably struggles with this because your loved one's biggest concern is your safety. We have a lot of things in place to keep us safe, but we're not allowed to talk about those things. So it's hard to convince someone who loves you to say, trust me, I, I am, I am taking safety precautions. I just can't tell you what they are because it sounds like dodgy. But anyway, the point is those networks exist in the industry. They're incredibly strong. But if you're not connected to them, uh, you're not connected to them. I can definitely relate to that experience. Um, I obviously had a different experience to you in entering the industry, and that is a whole other episode, our origin (laughs) stories that we'll talk about at some point. I uh, did a few shifts in a brothel when I was 18, and I was 
That's a whole story, but uh, it was quite daunting and I was very alone. Nobody knew that I was doing it. I had one male friend that dropped me off to the brothel and he was the only person that knew. And the uh, the brothel owner said to me, don't tell anyone in your life that you're doing this. I guess he was, you know, just looking out for me. He thought that, you know, if you tell people, the stigma will affect your life. Um, so I didn't. And it wasn't until a few years later, I was doing promotional work with a girl I'm going to call Julie. And Julie and I were, we became pretty quick friends and we were heading to some job, I think, you know, somewhere in regional New South Wales. And she mentioned something about sex work. Like she said, oh, have you ever taken money for something before? Or, you know, I can't remember the, the framing of the question. And I was like, maybe have you she was like yes and I was like we're best friends we're best friends I'm like, like let's talk about it let's like plan everything and so we came up with all these plans that when we'd go and do these promotions out in the country that like we might like meet some guys and like you know take them to a room and all of this but we always chickened out so that was my first sort of experience of meeting someone that was on the same level as me regarding that sort of work Julie moved on with her life and and didn't sort of engage in the industry much more from then. Um, I think she did a little bit here and there, but she, she mostly has gone on to a, a really fulfilling career elsewhere. But it stayed with me. And when a new brothel opened uh, in about, oh, it must have been 2013 or so. Actually, no, it must have been before that. Anyway, in the you know early part of that decade, she sent me a message with a link to it on Gumtree. And she said, look, there's this new brothel opening. Like, I think it would be really cool. And I was like, are you going to join me? And she said, maybe. Uh, but I went for it. So I was the only worker that they had for months. So it was just me for a long time. Wow. Okay. So even working in a brothel doesn't guarantee <laughs> that you're going to have. That's exactly. Oh, there no, you go. It was just me. And I was pretty raw. I had not much idea what I was doing, but I just sort of winged it and... Uh, another worker came in and she was in her 40s and I think she'd mostly only done parlor work, but she was a very quiet, reserved lady. And so we we got along, but we just didn't really, you know, click and vibe. And so it was pretty lonely for me a lot of that time. Uh, as you know, then I went on to stripping and did a few other things. And eventually I came back to that same brothel a few years later and, yeah, built a lot of friendships there. But, yeah, definitely um, in that time I did a lot of Googling and I was very alone. Social media never occurred to me. I never thought of Twitter. Nobody ever told me. Uh, so it was always sort of me uh, surreptitiously telling my civilian friends what I was doing and them sort of going, oh, you know, <laughs> not very impressed. Um, and, yeah, you do. You feel it took me. That's why it took me so long to commit to the industry because I was constantly battling the feeling of that I'm a fucking weirdo for loving this. And like, this is really, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Cause no one else, I had no one else to relate to on that level. Mm. Yeah. It's really interesting what you said about the, uh, the brothel owner or the manager, I think it was that said, yeah. don't tell anyone about this because that's, uh, what I heard from my clients when I was newer to the industry, they gave me two pieces of advice that I heard from a number of my clients at the time. One was don't ever charge more than $200 an hour because oh, wow. you're a bigger girl. Um, and obviously now I charge a lot more than that. So fuck them. Uh, but I believed that for a long time. Like I, I fucking believed oh. that and fuck them. But the other piece of advice was do not tell anyone. And I would say to them, oh, but I want to, I'm really proud of what I'm doing. And I know that I'm not doing anything wrong and I love my work. Um, and they would say to me, look, Jenna, I know you feel that way, but the world, you know, the world isn't ready for that. And a lot of people have a lot of judgments, blah, blah, blah. And I listened to them and 
you know, now I'm like, right. So you weren't ready for it. You had a Mm. lot of judgments. You were happy to fuck me, Mm. but you, you have issues with it because my, uh, overwhelmingly, I have been incredibly supported by the people around me. Uh, and people have actually been very ready for it. Like people are fine. They'll, they'll cope. I think I can understand from a perspective that particularly when I was 18, um, you know, people do want to protect you to some, to some extent, sorry. And, you know, including, you know, like it's a similar perspective my my mother has that she doesn't want people to know, you know, and a part of that is protection. Some of it is not, but, um, you know, people, I think when you're particularly very young, they think you may not know what you're committing yourself to. You may not know what you're doing to reputation going forward. Is this a risk you want to take by putting that out there? Because it is a stigmatized job, but as you clearly love it, have a passion, you're succeeding, things are going well, and this becomes a career for you. I think that there comes a point when you should embrace it. And it's um, a positive thing for the sex worker rights movement to show and to humanize and to embrace that career. But, um, you know, so I think there's, there's a bit of both. I think that definitely it's, you know, a lot of people's internal shame and that's really, really disappointing. Uh, but I also can understand when a uh, a brothel owner was talking to a possibly a little bit of a naive 18 year old girl who just wanted to suck all the dicks. Um, maybe don't tell everyone that you're sucking all the dicks. It's <laughs> probably not, not the worst advice. So yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think you're right. That's a very fair, um, that's a very fair assessment of the situation, but looking back, I really just want to slap those dudes, but <laughs> that's my personal, you know. I mean, I can understand, particularly particularly the uh, the telling you what to charge because of well, some arbitrary thing yeah. is, is, wow. Yeah, that's another episode. Um, but, yeah, what's what I find very, very interesting and what I imagine a lot of people don't know is that almost every single time – I talk about my work to a new group of people or I post about it on Facebook or whatever, people come out of the woodwork. And um, so the first example of this was many years ago, the first time I ever tried broaching the subject with civvies. Um, I was sitting around with a group of friends at one of their houses and I started talking about what I'd been doing. And this was when I was newish to the industry and I was like loving it. And I was like, guys, guys, I fucking, I found gold. This like, it's fantastic. And they did not react very well. They weren't outwardly cruel or anything like that, but they were uncomfortable. They clearly wanted to change the subject and it just, it got weird. And, you know, the flow on effect of that was that those friendships don't really exist anymore. But mm. what was interesting was that when I got home, the roommate of the person um, who was hosting the event had sent me a a private message on Facebook and said, hey, um, I've been really struggling with cash. We're all uni students at the time. Um, I'm really struggling and I've actually been thinking about doing that sort of thing and I hope this isn't inappropriate. I'm sorry I was kind of eavesdropping, blah, blah, blah. And I just thought, you know, like I imagine after I left, the people left there probably said some uh, negative stuff about me and, and my work and whatever and she would have heard that. And that's, and they had no idea, you know, and now every time I post on Facebook about my work or my personal Facebook, this is obviously, I get a message from at least one person and they're they're one of the following three, either it's somebody saying, oh, I actually do sex work or I've, I've done it in the past. And like, thank you so much for speaking out about it. I thought I was alone. Uh, The second one is people who say, Oh, I've real. I'm fascinated. I would love to be a sex worker. Like, can you tell me more? 
what do you think? Can I get into it? Can I, whatever. The third one I think is actually the most common is my, my friend, my sister, my cousin, my whatever is a sex worker or has been doing OnlyFans or whatever. I'm the only person who knows. Um, they are going through hard times. They're really, you know, terrified of people finding out about their job. I feel like they really need support. So can you, can you put me in the right direction or whatever? And of course my response is always like, holy fuck, give them my number. Like let's get them into the community. Just let's have a conversation. Um, number one, connect them with another sex worker. Like that is the most important thing in my opinion that you can do. But I just think that it's interesting because I have so many of these conversations and this is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about being out about my work. And when with my husband and I, when we first started being like, okay, we're going to tell people, we're going to be honest about it. At first, our agreement was always like, but only if someone really asks. So if somebody would say to me, like, what do you do for work? I'd be like, oh, I run my own business. And then they'd be like, in what industry? I'd be like, okay, cool. Well, look, you've asked, so I'm going to tell you. And that came from a place Mm. of me not wanting to make them uncomfortable because some people are fucking weird about sex and whatever. And it's gotten to the point now where I'm like, actually, I – it's, I don't care how uncomfortable it makes you because the fact is that it exists and I don't care whether you like that it exists or not. It just is the reality. And the fact that I have all these conversations with people and then every fucking time somebody privately messages me and is like, I, I'm one too, you know, and I, th- I just wish, like, obviously I can't say, oh, blah, blah, reason, blah, blah, reason, blah, blah, reason, you know, but when I come across people that say, oh, it's not normal though, is it? I'm like, well, actually, actually there's a lot of people doing it in all different ways and and to different degrees and not everyone's like a career whore the way I sort of consider myself. But uh, I just wish people knew how many people were doing it because then all these people that have contacted me and said, oh, you know, my friend is doing it and she's on her own, all those people could connect so much easier, you know? Hence the name of the podcast. Yeah. Exactly. Somebody you love is a sex worker and you probably don't even know it. Yep. You know? Yeah. I mean, the the one negative about being so kind of passionately out about my work is that wherever I go, it turns into a fucking conversation about sex work. Um, And it's just, I mean, I'm like, look, that's fine. I'm like, sometimes it really gets to me, but I'm like, this is, I'm prepared to do this for the sake of all those people who, who reach out and who are on their own. I have the opposite experience. People don't care. No matter like people just, when I say it, they go, oh yeah, cool. Oh, I don't know if they're being polite, which is like, cool. But also sometimes I'm like, really? Could be a Canberra thing. I don't know. But people Wow, don't that's really interesting. I, I This is, a, yeah. again, another episode. But the amount of times I've been sitting in the, in the doctor's clinic and we've spent most of the time talking about my work and I'm like, anyway, do you yeah. want to diagnose me? Because I'm actually paying <laughs> for this time. Like, yes. And it's just a bit exhausting. Um, but anyway, yeah. my point is, but the amount of time somebody says to me, oh, I've never met a sex worker. And every time I say, yeah, you probably have actually. And it just, I just wish more people knew. That's all. <laughs> so after my experience where I worked in a brothel by myself for a few months, um, a few years later, I ended up doing reception at a another brothel in Canberra for about a year. And I made friends with quite a few of the workers and really good friends. And one of them now is still one of my best friends, which is really cool. There's such a a good vibe. I suppose when you're working in a brothel, 
It's a really strange place. It becomes run of the mill when you work there all the time, but they are weird places. There's a weird energy. There's, you know, sometimes really weird people coming in in the night um, because it is, it's, they're usually open in the night. Sometimes people are drunk, you know, obviously you get a lot of the normal sort of average clients, but you tend to see the stranger things between 3am and 5am. And there's a lot of that solidarity that builds in a room of women who are generally women who are hanging out for 12, 14 hours at a time um, and have these intimate experiences with clients and sometimes really unusual experiences with clients. So that's really cool. Then I ended up working full service again, uh, back in the brothel, uh, where I'd worked by myself and, we used to have the best times ever. We used to bring board games in half the time. You couldn't even get us to go into a booking because we were just having such a fun time together. And I'm still friends with quite a few of those people now. So there's definitely, particularly in the brothels I found uh, because you're physically in that proximity for hours and hours, a lot of opportunities to make friends. And there would be some people you just wouldn't get along with, but for the most part, you just, it wouldn't be an actual conflict. You just work. It's just, you know, there to, to understand what each other's going through and to get it done. Can I ask where in the places you've worked, have they always had, like, I hear it referred to as like the girl's room. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Always a girl's room. Yeah. So yeah, you'd have the working rooms, obviously the intro room or in one of the brothels, there was three intro rooms. The brothel where I did reception had a massive girl's room and then like dorms that you could sleep in. It was still though dirty. Like it, when I say dirty, I mean, it was just run down in disrepair. The The rooms in which you'd actually do your service in and work in were, were well looked after, but out the back where the girls had to spend 14 hours was filthy. Mm. Um, we all smoked cigarettes in there all night. I was a pack a day smoker at the time. I was smoking all night. It was just yeah, a bit, bit hectic. Um, the other, the brothel that then I was doing full service in, it was actually meant to be a working room, but it was a very small working room. I guess they built the brothel and then realized they didn't have anywhere for the workers to sit in between bookings. So there was a shower in the middle of it. These lockers, which were actually filing cabinets all like shoved to the corners. And then we'd all just sort of pile on the two couches or on the floor. Like there was just no room for us. We'd all sit on top of each other. But like I said, we all got on so well and became really close. So it was fine. Yeah. So the only brothels I've worked in have been where you get assigned a room for the day and that's your room. So there isn't much of a communal space. Well, that, yeah, I didn't know until I've spoken to other people that it's quite, it's quite different. And most of them, like normally there's somewhere you can go, uh, like for instance, at one of them, there was like an outdoor area where the smokers would go hang out. And I'm not a smoker, but I'd often just go out there just to hang out with them because it was, you know, if it was a slow day or whatever. But yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I was studying at the time and I found it really useful to just be in the room. And once I, when I didn't have bookings, I was just studying. And then when I got a booking, I'd put the laptop away and, and do the booking. And that, so I, I found that really good. And I, I guess I kind of was a little bit of a hermit in that sense. But yeah, I've never had that, um, that social brothel experience that I hear so many workers talk about. So it's a shame because it's really nice. It was really special. Yeah. I feel like I kind of missed out, but I also never, ever want to go back to a brothel in my life. So yeah, I don't care. I romanticize that experience and I think, yeah, I'd love to go back and have that experience with the girls again and all hang out, but also 
I don't want to do brothel work again. It was just, you know, volume over, you know, quantity over, over quality. And I just don't think I have the energy for that. You know, I remember sometimes the, uh, the receptionist at the, the last brothel that I was at would let me go. And, and cause you know, everyone who's listening probably knows I sleep is one of my number one hobbies. I would go and sleep in one of the working rooms and I'd be like, I'll just take a nap. And she'd come and wake me up and she'd be like, Holly, there's a client here. Do you want to intro? And I'd be, nah, it's okay. <laughs> so like, it's yeah, just too, it's such hard work. And there, there would be, I mean, it's hard work now what we do privately, but uh, it was a different kind of intensity in a brothel. So, you know, I miss that camaraderie in that regard, but also I've got beautiful friends now and my work-life balance is so much better. So there's all different kinds of relationships with our peers that we have in the industry. And I feel like it's, again, I think this is something that people from the outside may not see the complexity of it. So, you know, we have people who were like, obviously Holly and I are, are good friends. We are also co-workers. So we work together and we do bookings together. Uh, and obviously we're creating this podcast together, which is another weird kind of offshoot. As a result of us doing bookings together, we have been intimate with each other, but we're not, I wouldn't call us lovers. You know, we're not in a romantic or sexual relationship. Oh, <laughs> am oh. I breaking this to you right now? This is, this is one way to find out, I guess. <laughs> you knob. I think, I think Mr. Love is surprised. <laughs> yeah. He thinks we're, we're on the way to marriage. Me and you. Uh, no, but, but exactly. Yes. No, we're, we're not lovers. We're not. And, and where like some people may see that obviously we're very flirtatious with each other and we're very comfortable having sex with each other, but that's because we're co-workers. And I guess in, in any other industry, you don't have sex with your co-workers. Well, it's advised that you don't well, have sex with your co-workers. Yeah. You're not paid to have sex with your co-workers <laughs> unless you're doing it on the Australian taxpayers time. Um, <laughs> Been there, done that. I have done that. <laughs> oh, okay. That's a story for another time. Um, but so, yeah, we like in order to market ourselves, we have to put out there that we're very comfortable with each other sexually, which we are, but that doesn't mean that we're actually in a romantic relationship. And then you get sex workers who are in relationships with each other because there's a lot of people in the industry who have given up on dating uh, civvies, basically, um, and they're like, nah, I'm just dating whores for the rest of my life or marrying them or whatever. So then they actually will sort of advertise as a couple or they may not. It may not be known that they're a couple or, you know, whatever. And I think that that's, you know, it can, it can become really tricky because, you know, if their relationship is to come to an end, all of a sudden, you know, their private life has been in the public domain. Like it's because they've, they've advertised, they've capitalised on the fact that they are a couple and then they have to deal with everyone being like – you, I imagine I've not been in this situation, but you would get people sort of being supportive and being like, oh gosh, I've heard about the breakup and whatever. But you'd also get people, I imagine, being really disappointed as well. Like they're going through a breakup as well. They'd be like, oh no, you two broke up. Oh, I love you guys together. Oh, I'm really sad. Oh, I can't book you together. Oh, I really want to have a threesome. And you're like, dude, I'm... Mm. I'm heartbroken like this is or wanting you know, intimate details of what happened want, yeah. and you know they feel like they they're entitled to that personal yeah, information which, and because I can, you've put yeah, it out you've put yeah. it out there yeah. but you haven't put it out there you've you've put it out no. there for in a marketing sense but it you know that line gets it's tricky and then I think there's all, like there are people in the industry who I spend a lot of time with um who I do like organizing and advocacy with 
and I've never come into contact with their work persona. So there are some people who I don't even know what their work name is. I don't know if they have work social media or who who they actually, there was somebody I discovered a few weeks ago um, because of one word in their, uh, like in their bio, I was like, oh, you're like, you're a friend of mine. I know you, <laughs> but I didn't realize that was their, that was their work profile. Um, yeah. So it's just, there's, there's so much complexity and there are some people who I work very closely with. Obviously I, uh, you know, I do stuff with Scarlet Alliance and I volunteer a lot of my time in the industry and it would probably be kind of strange for me to do a booking with one of those people because we, you know, we spend our time together looking through like legislation and and sorting out minutes. Like we're not, you know, it's just uh, not, it's not a sexy time. Doesn't that sort of stuff turn you on? Like I uh, think, isn't that your kick? <laughs> I mean, like a little bit, but, uh, but it would, it would be kind of odd. And then, you know, I might share their stuff online because I'm like, this person is fucking awesome. And they are doing so much great stuff for our community. I adore them. They are so generous. They've helped me. They've helped my friends, but I know nothing about their work persona or what they're like in bookings. So I often will like, yeah, share their stuff and be like, this person's so great, but I don't know what they're like as a sex worker. I don't really care. (laughs) Yeah. Making friendships as a private worker in the industry is really interesting because a lot of it does come down to doubles. Sometimes when people are touring, they'll go to one town and they, you know, you'll sort of say, Hey, you're coming. Well, you know, I never go anywhere, but you know, when other workers come to Canberra, I'll sort of say, Hey, do you have time for a coffee or can we go for lunch? And you know, people that you've sort of vibed with online or that you think you might get on with and you might do that. But a lot of the time it also just ends up that a particular client is like, Hey, XYZ is coming to Canberra. I'd love to do a double. How do you feel about it? And that's sometimes a really cool opportunity to meet new workers. And it is a great way to meet someone. You go head first. Exactly. And to find that you, you immediately click. That's just such a fun experience when um, a client does bring you together or when you've already sort of talked and you've said, oh, well, let's see if when you come to town, if anyone wants to book us and maybe you'll put it out there. You know, I think I did that with um, Kiki back in the day and I was like, I really like this girl's vibe. She's got about a thousand pets. I think we're going to get on. And clients booked us together and we straight away became friends. Um, you know, people like I'd met Kate King before we sort of had, um, gotten along and then, you know, clients booked us together and the sexual chemistry was wonderful. So I think that's really cool. You know, that's a really good example of that situation when you have a double with someone and you go, not only are we getting along as people, but the sexual side of things goes really smoothly. There's no awkwardness and yeah, that's a fun bonus. But having said that, there can be awkward situations when doubles are involved. So uh, I did have an experience at one point where a client, I don't think the client had mentioned to me that they had already been speaking to this worker and they wanted to double with this worker and they'd sort of mostly set it up and they sort of just dropped it on me and said, oh, you know, we're sort of, I don't think they said we're going to do a double, but would you like to do a double with this person on this day, blah, blah, blah. And I sort of went, oh. Okay. (laughs) It wasn't somebody that I was particularly fond of. Um, The person hadn't done anything particularly to me. I just wasn't really keen on their vibe. And then I just felt a little bit too awkward to sort of say no. So we went ahead and we did it. And look, the booking was fine. Um, I still to this day have not mentioned to that client how awkward that was. But 
it's it's a little bit of a position that you can get put in sometimes as a worker when a client is really keen on seeing two workers that they've admired online or something and just sort of mashing them together. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it's a little bit of a hard one to navigate because we will recommend if you ask a worker, who do you like doing doubles with? We can tell you straight away. If you ask us, who would you like to do doubles with? We can probably give you a little list as well. Oh yeah, we've all got we've all got a list of people <laughs> we lust after. We've all got yeah. our dream our dream workers, but uh, there can be that awkward situation. Um, I, I'm not against people suggesting people to me because that's how I've met some wonderful workers. But I suppose it just is part of working in this industry that sometimes, um, and I guess that's where you know you can say no. We can always say no, but uh, yeah, definitely can result in some awkward situations. Yeah, I recently had an awkward situation where um, a client that I had only recently begun seeing asked me if I would be up for doing a double with uh, another worker that he sees, and he's been seeing her for quite some time, so she's kind of his regular. And I'm newer to to his life, I guess. Um, and he was like, would you be up for this? And me and that worker had actually had a falling out. And it was to the point where I was concerned. I, I, I don't know how to say it. I felt like they were perhaps a bit of a dangerous person and somebody that I wasn't comfortable being in that environment with. Um, but obviously uh, is his regular – so obviously he's very comfortable with her, which is cool. We all have different experiences with people. But I, it was, I, I had to really carefully word my response to him because I, I didn't – I enjoyed him as a client and I didn't want to come across as though I was, you know, a drama queen or, oh, no, I don't work with that person or that person. You know, I didn't mm. want to be difficult. But I genuinely That's what I had. had, yes. Yeah, I genuinely had a concern yeah. and thought that it wasn't appropriate for the two of us to – and I don't think that she would have said yes to it either. But he had come to me and asked and oh. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to be difficult. And, and what do I say to him? It's not appropriate for me to share our private business with him at all. And it's certainly not appropriate for me to say, actually, she blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but, you know, so I can't remember the wording I ended up with, but I said, I, I think I said her and I had a bit of a falling out a while ago and I, I reckon it's probably not the best idea. And, you know, and we did, we end up finding someone else and, and he does still see me. So that's really nice. But I was like, I might lose this client because it, it mm. could, and especially if they've got a rapport built up, he could go back and say, oh, well, Jenna says she didn't want to do it with you. And then she goes, well let me tell you about Jenna and then I potentially lose him, you know, which would suck. So it's, yeah, awkward situations for sure. But he, he did all the right things. He asked me and that's, that's all he could have done. The other thing that can be somewhat awkward is rates. Um, obviously we all set our own rates, which is one of the things that's excellent about this industry. And uh, so we often have different rates to each other. And I've, I've never had an issue with that. I've always been comfortable with, well, this is what my rate is. This is what I've decided an hour of my time is worth. If somebody else has decided that an hour of their time is worth more, that's cool. That's what they get paid. This is what I get paid. And I've done a lot of doubles bookings where I've been paid $50, $100, $150 less than the other worker. And I've got absolutely no issue with that. That's fine. That's the rate that I've decided I'm comfortable with. I have also had a situation. There's somebody I work with who charges substantially higher than I do. 
And she insists that we charge the client the combination of our rates. So say I'm, to make it easy, let's say I'm 300 and she's 700. She says, we'll charge $1,000 and we're each getting 500, which I was at first, I was like, you do not have to do that. I'm happy with the 300 or whatever, but I think it's very bloody cool of her. So good on her, but that's not, that's not necessary. But yeah, I've always been comfortable if somebody's being paid a bit more than me, or even if I'm being paid a bit more than them, I, I, I'm okay with that. But recently I had a booking and I worked out just before going to the booking, it was a doubles booking that the other provider was being paid three times as much as I was. I think it was just over three times actually. Ouch. And yeah, uh, you know, I don't want to be petty and I don't, you know, but it made me feel I can't describe how it made me feel. I had this sinking pit in my stomach. Like I felt, I don't know, un- undervalued, I guess. And I was like, we're doing the same amount of work here, you know? And it sort of, it. look, it, it was only, uh, it was this year. So it's, I haven't, I haven't come to any conclusion about that situation, but it made me rethink my philosophy on it. I know that there are some workers who um, insist on price matching that you will pay the rate of the most expensive worker to both workers. Uh, I don't I have know. Before, yeah, you've done that. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. It depends on the situation. Sometimes, yeah. if it's a regular client of mine and they want to see a worker who's a bit more expensive, I sort of let it go. Whatever, I'll yeah. just take my usual rate. But generally, yeah, I think whoever the more expensive rate is, it, it should be matched. I just think that's fair. I just think it feels really shitty when you're the, you know, the the lower charging worker and you sort yeah. of the, it's. You know, you're getting paid less for your time. It just feels a little bit mean. Yeah. (laughs) Generally, I've been really, really lucky with doubles bookings. There's only two situations I can think of uh, that weren't great. Usually uh, it's a bloody awesome time and, uh, oh, I just love them usually. Um, But one of the ones was years ago. And the whole, I mean, the whole booking was uh, like, I could, I could literally record a whole episode explaining the booking because it was very bizarre. But the part that really sticks in my mind was that the other worker basically spent like a lot of time in the booking talking about how fat I was, which was for obvious reasons, very uncomfortable for me. And she was somebody who had lost a lot of weight. So she kept comparing the two of us and say, like, she kept saying things like, Oh my God, we're basically identical. We, people wouldn't be able to tell us apart if I was still fat and things like that. So it wasn't even, it wasn't so much being like, Hey Jenna, you're fat, but it was just like, Oh, when I was fat, like you, which was just really, really unpleasant. And I can't remember because it was years ago. I can't remember if she ever said it in front of the client or not. And I honestly can't really work out which one's worse. Like, I don't know whether it's worse if she was sort of trying to say it on the sly to get inside my head or if she was saying it in front of the client and just like ripping me to shreds in front of him. I don't know. It just wasn't very nice. So that's definitely my, I would say my worst doubles booking experience working with somebody else in the industry. And then the other one was a situation where I had a a really great regular in another state, uh, which meant we, you know, don't get to see each other very often at the moment. Haven't seen him for like two years. And a worker who lived in that area saw that I was coming to town and was really pushing me to do doubles with her. 
She seemed really lovely. So I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. But it was really coming from her. And we sort of made plans. And then this client was like, yeah, cool. I'm interested in that. So it was like, great. His first ever threesome. It was very exciting. We made plans for her. So I think it was a three hour booking with me and the client. And she was going to join for the final hour. And then I had left some space afterwards and my tours, you know, they tend to be very, very busy. My time there is quite valuable, but I'd left some time afterwards to spend with her and perhaps make some content together and whatever. So like an hour into the booking, I go to the bathroom and I have a look at my phone and I've got a message from her saying that she's not coming and she hadn't contacted the client at all. She just messaged me. So... I had this, you know, real sinking feeling and I had to walk back into the bedroom and like, I was like, this isn't, I shouldn't have to tell him this. She should have told him this, you know? So I I had to say to him, oh, you know, this thing we've been hyping up for the last hour, Mm. actually it's not going to happen. This big, this first threesome of yours that I was going to share with you. And, you know, I mean, it's not the end of the world. We ended up having a nice time, but especially the information coming partway through the booking was difficult because you know, you, we, we plan out our bookings to an extent. You kind of manage the time to make it work, especially when there's more than two people involved. There's some practicalities that you've got to take into consideration. And, you know, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, things happen. And I wouldn't hold anything against somebody if they um, had, you know, gotten to a car accident on the way or something. Like there are some things that you just, you know, they just happen. But in this case, I, I mean, somebody else was talking about how they'd had a wild night the night before and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, well, Jeez. that seems, yeah, cool, great, whatever. So, yeah, they're my, my two sort of negative experiences. But on the whole, I found that like – doing bookings with other workers has really made me have like so much respect for them. Like seeing someone else in their element doing their thing. I'm like, fuck, you're good at this. Yes. And it, yeah. And I really, I really love that. And it really brings our friendship closer because you see them putting in the hard work and you're like, yes, yes, get it. <laughs> Something else that we wanted to bring to your attention is that retweets aren't endorsements. So I've had this problem before. I will retweet people that I think are just cool people, people that I think they have a beautiful photo today. You know, there's a million reasons why I might retweet someone, but I may not know anything about their service, about what they're like in a booking. Um, and so, you know, I don't want to discourage anything, but I also just want to make sure that people understand that when we retweet other people, we are not necessarily endorsing them. We don't know often what they're like in a service. Um, I have no problem with my clients saying, you know, is there someone that you can recommend? And I can definitely let you know, you know, privately of other people that my, my clients have said they've had a wonderful time with locally or something like that. That's fine. Um, I'm always happy to do that. But Just a reminder, friendly reminder that when we retweet someone, that's just because we think they have great content because we like their vibe and it's no guarantee of any sort of service. So, yeah. Yeah. I've had a few situations where clients have come to me and said, oh, I saw blah, blah. And I've been like, oh, cool. Did you have a good time? And they're like, "Um, you know, no, either like they were very unprofessional or um, they felt like their boundaries were pushed even or, you know, all sorts of different things. And I've been like, oh, okay, like that's that sucks. And they've been like, but you're friends with them, right? And I'm like, oh, no, like what? 
I've never met that person, but because I interact with them on social media and because I think a lot of sex workers are the same in that we we really try to support each other. And, and if we know someone's going through a bit of a hard time or whatever, we will share their stuff and we'll try and get it out there. But it doesn't mean that we know anything about what they're like in a booking. And it doesn't mean that we're, yeah, we may not even be friends with them. We just are in the same industry and we try to look out for each other. And I think like, yeah, you touched on saying like when clients have sort of recommended other people or whatever. And I think, look, people have different opinions about this. And we often get asked, like, what do you think about discussing other providers in a booking? And I know for some people it's a blanket no, like you do not discuss other providers. That's completely not okay. In my opinion, I find it actually incredibly useful. Me too. And I think that, yeah, and I think that like as long as it's not, I don't want it to turn into a bitch fest. I'm not interested in ragging on on another provider. But if you had a really great time with somebody or, you know, somebody was like a real laugh, somebody you think I'd get on really well with, somebody you thought was really similar to me, like that kind of information is really, really helpful because then when I get my regulars say, oh, I'm going to blah, blah city, um, do you know anyone there? I can go either. I can go, yes, I know this person. They're great. We have sex all the time and they're very, very good. Or I can go, look, I don't know this person, but we have a bunch of clients in common and they all rave about them. So that that's perhaps worth, you know, giving it a go. So I, I find that kind of information, you know, really, really useful. And if I hear negative stuff about people, I'm not going to steer anyone away, but I'm obviously not going to bring that person's name up as a recommendation to somebody who, you know, is a really great client to me. They may well go and see that person off their own bat and then they can make up their own mind about them. But uh, yeah, I'm obviously not going to suggest somebody who I've heard not so great things about. Do you miss the free and affordable ads and social networks without all of the anti-sex rhetoric? Assembly 4 is a team of sex workers and technologists from Melbourne, Australia, aiming to bring back free and fair advertising and social spaces to the sex working community. Stepping away from the clunky design of traditional platforms, their two products, Trist.link and Switter.at, are refreshing and well-needed changes in both presentation and mission. And both are free to join and open to all. You can find both of our profiles on Trist, and I love how it is so clearly designed by sex workers. Yep, and I love how straightforward and easy it is to use and how much they clearly support the sex working community. And also how responsive they are when it comes to feedback and customer service. Check out their website, assembly4.com, for the word, not the number, for more info. I thought for our misconception this week, we should cover sex workers not paying taxes. And that's because Holly went to her accountant yesterday. I certainly did. <laughs> certainly did. I think you can tell from the tone of her voice that uh, she definitely <laughs> does pay taxes. <laughs> I uh, Yesterday I was telling my accountant about how I was raving about her on Twitter, just how much I adore her. She's wonderful. She's actually Canadian and um, she's relatively young. Um, that sounds bad, but she's, um, you know, I just feel like I relate to her a little bit, but she's like me if I was a professional lady, not like some (laughs) naughty sex worker. And I said, Oh, you know, people will, I actually have had a few people ask like, who is my accountant? And she said, she said, well, you're my only sex worker client. So this has sort of all been new for me. Yeah. And that was sort of cool because she's been so professional the whole time and she's had so much information on our industry. She's done all this research just 
to help me. And I would have never known that she's not had a sex worker client before me. So that was really cool. Um, but yep, yeah, I definitely pay tax. In fact, yesterday I realized I had made a mistake and I actually owe an extra two and a half or three thousand dollars this year that I hadn't expected. Oh, how lovely. And that's, uh, nice. Like it's a nice little surprise. I, I was oh, looking yes. at the paperwork and I said, oh, so I pay this amount and then that two and a half is something. And she goes, no, no, you pay this amount and then you got to pay the two. And, and I went, oh, shit, that's <laughs> additional. <laughs> so it wasn't a great surprise. But look, that's part and parcel with um with making a living. And that's yeah, the way it is. That's, I know? always say the only thing worse than having to pay tax is not having to pay tax. Yeah. But um, yeah, look, I find we come across this so much online. You know, whenever somebody brings up the conversation, do you think that sex work should be legalized is what they normally say um, or decriminalized. And there are always bloody at least 20% of the comments saying, yes, it should be regulated and they should be taxed. And I'm like, Mm. do you really think that we're not getting taxed? Because regardless of whether it is legal or illegal, we have income whether we're declaring it as sex work income or any other kind of income, like the government is, they don't like us getting away with not paying taxes. We all know that. They do data matching. If there's money going in your account, they will know you need to pay tax on that. You cannot survive. People go, oh, you just keep cash. Well, you cannot pay your bills without an account, without online banking. You can't, like there's so much. You can't get a loan. You can't buy something like a car or a house or something that's quite expensive. And I think. It's very hard. That's the other thing. A lot of people go, oh, well, it's because you're paid in cash. And I'm like, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's actually 2021 and a lot of my clients don't pay in cash. Like I get paid so much of my income is is direct into my bank. So I obviously I have to declare that, as you said, data matching. I've, I've kind of got no choice. Mm. And I think something that a lot of these people don't consider is that where sex work is criminalized, in my opinion, if anything, they're paying more tax than they should be because if they're not able to be open about their profession, then they aren't able to claim deductions. Mm. So because where I live, it's completely decriminalized. The tax department knows that I'm a hooker and a lot of people don't want them to know that for very valid reasons, but they do know that I am. And so I claim dildos and I claim lingerie and I claim all these things that if I put down that I was a consultant or that I was a photographer or that I was working in marketing, any of these general kind of terms that people often will kind of default to, I can't claim dildos, you know, (laughs) which means that people that are living in criminalized locations, they're still paying tax on their income, but then they can't deduct. So it's like, if anything, sex workers are paying more tax than they should be. So shut the fuck up with all this thought audit bullshit. And I think there's also this assumption that the reason that we're paid in cash is because we don't want to be paid electronically when the reality is that the world makes it like very difficult for us to be paid electronically. We're not able to get FPOS merchant facilities. Uh, It's incredibly difficult and very expensive to have a bank account which doesn't lead clients directly to your legal name and address. And our job is against the terms and conditions of, well, almost every company ever, but particularly payment companies like PayPal, Square, Stripe, MasterCard, and Visa. Like these companies delete our accounts, often taking any money that is left in them. And, you know, this happens to me. I'm speaking from personal experience and I'm someone who is, you know, privileged enough to be able to work legally, to pay my taxes, to receive government assistance if I need it. And the thing is, like, the financial discrimination that we face often means that we are given the choice of either being safe 
or working legally. So if you're worried about us declaring our income, maybe work on making it possible for us to actually have an income. This week's Shit People Say segment is one I'm really excited about because I laughed so much at this exchange this week. Uh, Jenna was contacted by a very interesting individual on Twitter this week. I'll throw I to her. I love the way you're so – a very interesting individual. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I got a private message and it said it – it was a dick pic. Let's just put that out there because, it you know, half the time it is. Um. <laughs> And the, the caption on it was, well, here you go then, just a chub because I don't really work anymore, ellipsis. And I was like, what? <laughs> like it sounds like he, like he felt coerced into sending me the dick pic, <laughs> which is a weird dynamic that's different to what, you know, like I was like, oh, I don't want this. Like no one wants this, but okay. So I just responded, why did you send me that? Because I'm fascinated. I always ask. I'm like, what, what's, I, I like to engage them. Not always, but sometimes. I said, why did you send me that? And he said, sorry, my bad. I misjudged your response to a tweet. I deeply apologize. I misunderstood. God, I'm a fool. So sorry. And I said, what tweet? I was like, what are you, like, what is happening? What are you talking about? Um, and he said, tit for tat. So then I went and looked at my main feed um, and I had posted a picture of my boob and I said, a tit for your timeline uh, because fuck coming up with captions all the time is bloody difficult. Okay. So don't judge me. Um, I said a tit for your timeline and this person had commented, would you like a tat for your tit? Now, when I read that I have a tattoo under the tit that was showing in the picture. <laughs> God, this feels so weirdly like descriptive porn um so I thought when he said he was like a tat for your tit like I thought he was referencing the tat on my tit um but also we get you know we get a lot of comments and we go through and like them like you don't always really fully digest what um somebody's saying so apparently he took me liking him saying would you like a tat for your tit as me requesting a dick pic what universe would that mean that on? Like I've been thinking about it like daily. I was in the shower this morning and I was laughing. Or was it last night? I was giggling because I was like, in what world would tit for tat? You go, oh, that means they want a penis pic. I just like. Well, that, if anything, me. you would think it meant a picture of his chest, wouldn't you? If any, if it's tit for would tat. I? Well, no, you still wouldn't. Yeah. But it's like, well, it's not a photo of my vag. So why? like? Yeah. Yeah. I anyway. just baffled he said again apologies my bad it's all on me and I said oh okay well look I appreciate the the apology and at that time I was like okay it's like a genuine uh mistake whatever like it's not a big deal and then he responded again and said please accept my apology I'm not a dick pic guy not my thing I swear and it's true my stuff doesn't work anymore ellipsis I'm 56 it happens. Who asked? Like, at what point was that? To, why do you keep mentioning your penis, sir? Why, I haven't asked. I have no interest. I didn't want the picture. I don't want details on how it works. Don't give me any more information, and please. And also saying like, it happens. Like I, And so I responded, <laughs> I mean, I know that I'm a sex worker. Like I, like I see a lot of dicks and a lot of them don't get hard. That's, that's really standard, dude. It's normal. But I just thought, because I, I said, okay, well, look, I appreciate the apology, which I thought was really fucking nice of me because, you know, I'd just been sent a fucking dick pic. 
And then he continued on, started talking about his dick. I said, yeah, I know that. Then he said, lol, have fun with what you have. Adieu. Well, he, he, I mean, I think that's what he was trying to say. And then I went and looked and he had sent me that dick pic within one minute of him making the comment. So he made the comment. I liked the comment and he sent me a picture of his penis all within the space of a minute. He also took the time to get as much chub as he could, which as he continues to tell me is not a full chub or whatever. So like, that's a lot of things to happen in the space of a minute. So then I was like, fuck it. If you're going to keep coming back, I'm going to respond to you. And I said, quote, not a dick pic guy, but you sent one within a minute of your comment with the rolly eyes emoji. And he said, no, seriously, that's the only time my junk has been on the net. Like, all right, whatever. And so I didn't respond again. I was like, I've got my dig in. That's fine. Then a few minutes later, I get another message from him, which is, please just let this go. I misunderstood. I made a bad choice. You're a wonderful, strong, self-actuated person of strength and conviction. I made a faux pas. My bad. Why vilify me? And like, babe! Dramatic! This is not what vilification is! So I just responded. I said, mate, I let it go. I said that I accepted your apology. You're the one who felt the need to keep talking about your dick. And he responded back again. Jesus, no, there's nothing to talk about there. Like he's still talking about his fucking dick. And it's like, I don't know who, like I have no idea who this person is. I have absolutely no frame of reference, anything and he's just, oh, and it just, I don't know. It's one of those situations where, like, it's fine if he made a mistake, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. But I'm like, for starters, you were very quick. You are very quick off the mark. Like, I, you know, my husband was you know, with me when I was reading through this, and he was like, I've never sent a dick pic to someone in my life, and I wouldn't – it would take a lot more than a like on a comment for me to – instantly just whip it out, take a photo and send it. Like if you're not that kind of person, you're not really ready for that, you know? But, and then he just had to like insisted on telling me about his, his dick not getting hard. I don't give a shit, man. And then gets like upset that I vilified him because I pointed out that what he did was like not great. And like if that's the worst oppression you've faced in your life, babe, ugh. It's time for question of the week. Very soon we will be uh, recording our second ever bonus episode for our patrons, um, which will involve us answering a whole bunch of questions. But unless you are one of our $10 and up patrons, you're not going to get to hear that. So you just have to hear us answer one question every week. So sad. You should probably go join the Patreon. Our question for this week is what is your favourite memory featuring the other host? Holly, what's your favourite memory featuring me? Oh, this isn't even recording, is it? You're just milking me for validation. Correct. <laughs> Tell me you love me. <laughs> um, my favourite memory of Jenna is, and I've already tweeted about this, so everyone already knows, but it was when Jenna was sleeping over and we sat up until like bullshit o'clock talking till like three o'clock or something, just like, like, okay, we should probably go to bed. We had a photo shoot like the next day, which we had to get ready for. It was that was the night. Up for hours and then we're like, okay, let's go to bed, toddled off to our bedrooms and then like 
30 minutes later, she's like texting me. Like, I think that was the beginning of us having this nonstop texting thing ever since where we've just not. I think I was sending you cat memes, wasn't I? Um, I think you were sending me bad eyebrow memes. Oh, yeah. Like, I think. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we'd realized we both have a thing about eyebrows. So that was uh, that. was that. And I was like, I, I rolled over in bed and I was like, oh, she's probably asleep. And I picked up my phone and it like had a little notification and I was like, oh, like we're friends. Um, it was very cute. It's also what happens every single time we record an episode of the podcast. Uh, yeah. We're, we're here for a couple of hours talking to each other nonstop and then we get off the call and we're instantly texting. <laughs> we just can't stop. Yeah, I don't think there's like an hour of the day that we're not texting. Mm. Like, yeah. Okay, I went a little bit of a different route with this question. <laughs> uh, it's not as lovey-dovey. Um, mine was during a booking that we had together and Holly and I have this mutual client who is, who we both really adore. Actually, almost all, I think of our mutual clients, we both really adore. Uh, we got good people, but, uh, this particular client really enjoys putting things in their bottom. Um, and we're quite happy to, to engage in such activities, And the place where the booking was happening had this really long bathroom. So this really long, like tiled section that was attached to the bedroom. Holly's Holly's laughing because she she now knows what story I'm about to tell. I'm on board. Yeah. (laughs) And so this client had these, had bought with them these um, little like eggs. They're silicon, like rubbery, not rubbery, they're silicon eggs that you, that are safe to insert. And the client quite enjoyed putting them in their bottom and then pushing them out of their bottom, which was quite novel. And I think to, just in case anyone's worried, like this client is really comfortable with butt stuff and does like a lot of cleaning. And like, there was just, there wasn't a hint of poop anywhere. Even my nose could not smell anything, but we had this big, long uh, bathroom. So the client was like, How about I go down one end of the bathroom and uh, see how far I can shoot eggs out of my ass? And Holly and I were like, yeah, how about you do that? Like, why the fuck not? (laughs) (laughs) But Holly was so much more keen than I was. So I sat on the bed and, like, waited for the show. And so the client had put, like, a bunch of these eggs in and was doing one after the other. And I sat on the bed and I was like, oh, yes, this is a lovely show. And Holly gets down and she's trying to catch them. And there's just naked. They're shooting across the room, bouncing on the tiles, slippery, covered in lube. And Holly is just like naked and going for it. And I was so impressed because that was just a bit, I was like, I don't want to catch them. That was just a bit too far for me. And it was hilarious. We were all laughing our heads off because they were really inconsistent and the client found that they weren't able to control, like some of them would just kind of like fall out and just drop on the floor right next to their bum and some of them would really like shoot and Holly would be like, holy crap. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was hysterical and I've just, I've never been like prouder of a person than watching her in that moment. (laughs) Oh, I still don't even think that's the weirdest thing I've done. Like there, there's a lot of, yeah, we have a lot of memories. Like there's, there, even as you're telling that story, there are more that are coming to mind. So there's, uh, we've had some fun times. That's yeah, for sure. definitely, definitely. 
It's time for Patreon shoutouts. We have a brand new generous somebody who is Ellen and our very generous somebodies that we'd like to thank are Lachlan, Timmy, Steve, our footstool, Spaceman Dan, Pete, Adele, Alice Gray, Big M, Scott C, Sammy Jane, Bart, Barleyman, Randy Wagner, Robbie Hart, Andrew, Andy, Leo, Nani, Theodoric, Natalie, Adam Smith, Mal, Bruce McDermott, Gricey, Pedro, Ben, Dale, John the PM, Mama B, Maddie Andrews, Larry, Leslie and Celeste. Our extremely generous somebodies are Aaron, Samuel and Andrew. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Creating this podcast is the only thing that is keeping me tethered to reality at the moment in Sydney lockdown. Anybody who is stuck in the same position, my heart goes out to you. It's a shit time. But anyway, thanks. Please look out for us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon. Our name everywhere is Somebody You Pod, as in podcast. Our Patreon starts at just $3 a month, and you can get all of our episodes ad-free and a day early, plus bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes action, bloopers, and more. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the voices of sex workers. And remember, somebody you love might just be a sex worker. <laughs>